Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 3. Sunday morning we're studying a series entitled Gleanings from Genesis. We come to chapter 3 in that gleaning series. If you're with us this morning and you're without a Bible, just flag one of these guys coming up the aisles with Bibles right now. They'll get one into your hands and uh, never trust anyone in a pulpit that you can't check what they're saying by a Bible in front of you. And that includes me, most of all me. So uh, if you don't own a Bible, make that Bible a gift from the Lord uh, to you uh, as well. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the tree of uh, 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 the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, "You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die." And then the serpent said to the woman, "You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, uh, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil." Uh, so. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And here we are today, uh, enjoying all of the disaster of this thing called a fall. <laughs> Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the clarity of these six verses that... Um, is an expose on the devil and his devices and his temptations. Lord, how blind we would be in life and how vulnerable we would be even as Christians if we did not understand something about his devices, if we walked in ignorance related to them. And we pray that you would expose every one of his devices that are actively being pursued in any of our lives and pray that you would inoculate us against any kind of temptation or lie that he would bring against us the rest of our pilgrimage as we study your word this morning. We pray for this work of your Holy Spirit, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> this morning in our gleanings from Genesis series, we continue to look at the fall of Adam and Eve and that ancient Garden of Eden, and the series is looking at uh, the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. We looked at that last week, and uh, we'll finish that uh, this morning, next time to look at the consequences of the fall, and then finally, uh, the, God's plan of redemption, His plan of salvation uh, to deliver us from the consequences of that fall. And we began uh, the examination of the fall last week by looking at the meaning of the term, what does it mean to fall, and then the witness of conscience within our lives to the reality and the truth of uh, the fall of man. And then we looked at the tempter himself, the devil who uh, set Adam and Eve up for this deception and for this fall uh, long before he ever opened his mouth and his temptations then uh, became verbal. And, uh, and we did so in order to kind of set the table for what we come to this morning, and that is the devil's uh, successful temptation 
uh, of Eve. Now, I, I know that there are people in the world who can, uh, are content to live their entire lives without attempting to ask the question about the origin of evil or the origin of uh, wickedness uh, in this world. And I also know that there's a lot of people in this world that do not believe in a, uh, a literal devil. But the Bible explains the origin of evil uh, in the universe and in God's creation, in the sin of Adam, or the sin of Satan rather, in his rebellion against God's authority, his rebellion uh, against his position in uh, the universe. Again, for me, and, and uh, at my age, I've been a watcher of life. I've been old all my life, actually and uh, watched life uh, for all of these years, uh, read a lot of things, been exposed to a lot of things, and there is nothing that exists that I've been exposed to in the whole wide world that so explains the world that I live in day in and day out uh, as the first three chapters of the book of Genesis. The creation of man, the fall of man from that original creation, and then God's plan of, of redemption to bring us back from the catastrophic consequences of, of that, that fall. And as a part of God's explanation of the world that I live in and you live in day in and day out is its explanation for the origin of evil and the existence of evil. You simply cannot be a thinking person. You, it's, a, it's an absolute waste of a human life uh, to just live a three score and ten in this world and never give any consideration to the origin of evil uh, and, and wickedness within the world. It is not enough to simply uh, recognize that it is our portion, it is our daily portion, uh, every time we see the news, every time we're exposed to whatever in life we see that exists. But to take it one step further and ask, was it always like this? Has it always been like this? And if not, what is the origin of this wickedness and the evil uh, in, in the world? And uh, otherwise, a person's just going to uh, choose to live their life completely ignorant about the answers of that subject, and I don't think any thinking person would be content to do so. Evil began with the rebellion of a literal, historical creation of God uh, named Satan. And in this regard, I repeat it every so often, so if you've been around here forever, you'll excuse me for it, but I always like the story in, uh, related to the existence of the devil of uh, the young zealous Christian and the old liberal uh, pastor. And uh, the minister said to the, the zealous young Christian, you talk about the devil this and the devil that. I've been a minister for 35 years and never run into him yet. And the Christian says, has it ever occurred to you that it might be, be because you're both going in the same direction? Uh, and if you'd go in the opposite direction for some uh, time, you will discover that he is... Uh, uh, run into him quite a bit. And it's absolutely true of any Christian. I mean, if, until we're a Christian, he just lulls us to sleep and it's eat, drink, and be merry, tomorrow we die. But uh, when we begin to live for God in the context of this fallen world, 
then we're going to find out in, in no, uh, no time at all, not only uh, the theological basis for the existence of the devil, but we'll learn very experientially about his existence as well. And to not believe in the devil, I mean, it allows him to deceive people, it allows the devil to just pound people undetected with impunity uh, and, and all the while uh, safe in doing so because a person refuses to uh, believe in his existence and believe in him as the source of, of evil and wickedness in in uh, uh, the culture or in his existence. Of course, Jesus put all uh, doubts, all denials of the devil's existence to rest. And he did so with the kind of authority that only he possesses. He spoke in, of the existence of the devil when he declared to the Pharisees, you are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Uh, concerning the sin of the devil and the fall of the devil, when Jesus sent out the 70 disciples in the course of his public ministry and they began to go out into the villages that Jesus would soon uh, approach and enter into, as they went out and did that preparatory work, they then came back to Jesus and uh, they were astounded. They said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us uh, in your name. And then Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Uh, he was a witness to, uh, to the rebellion and then uh, to uh, the dealing of that rebellion. And Jesus went on to say, Behold, I give you the authority I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And Satan's temptation of the devil is progressive. It occurs in, in three kind of uh, stages, three kind of parts, and it's made up of three very specific temptations that most of us will recognize in our own lives from his attempt to uh, deceive us and tempt us in, in the same way. Uh, whether we're a Christian or not, these are devices that he attempts to use. He's really not that clever. <laughs> Uh, he's really not that original. He has a modus operandi. He has a pattern that he follows. Why would he need to come up with anything new when he's so successful uh, with the three things that we see right here within the passage? And the first temptation, uh, he declares to Eve there in verse 1, has God indeed said to you, you shall not eat of every tree in the garden. And so he begins his conversation with Eve uh, with what is uh, essentially a good way to view it is he, he launches a couple of probes towards Eve in order to gauge her response. And based upon her response, he is going to figure out now what he's going to say and what he's going to do next. And the first probe that he launches toward her is, is the early part of that opening uh, sentence when he says, has God indeed said... 
And uh, here he says it, and he, he, his tone is incredulous. It's, it's just like it, it, all of it, it to him, it, he mocks it, that it, it's all quite unbelievable uh, that God would say such a thing uh, to anyone. And so he comes with scorn and mocking toward the idea that God would prohibit from eating one of the trees in, in the garden. Other translations, I think, capture it a little bit better than, than the King James or the New King James. The Amplified Bible has the devil saying to Eve, uh, can it really be that God has said that you shall not eat from uh, any tree of the garden? The ESV puts it this way, did God actually say? Uh, the NIV puts it this way, did God really say? And there is a, a, condense, a condescension here, a, a mocking, a looking down his nose, so to speak, at anyone, uh, namely God, who would make that kind of a statement, who would give that kind of, of a prohibition. And this not-so-subtle mocking of, of God's commandment is intended, I think, to make Eve uh, cause her to realize that uh, not everyone considers the commandments of God uh, to be reasonable. I think it's also intended to make her feel a, a little naive, to feel as if she's a little bit simple in this big wide world uh, for taking God's commandments seriously, for taking them at, at, at face value. Mockery is a very, very powerful weapon in attempting to dislodge someone from any belief that they hold uh, strongly. And the devil is an absolute master of it. And one of the reasons that the devil uses mockery and scorn so effectively is that when you mock a person for a position that they hold or a belief that they hold, you're trying to dislodge them from that belief without doing the hard work of deconstructing the truth that they believe in and then showing them where they are, what they believe in is false. And because the devil knows that he can never do that related to any truth of God that we hold as a Christian, he will never go there in, in his temptations. Uh, he resorts to scorn and he resorts to mockery as a probe to see and all of us are vulnerable in different ways to see if we are the kind of person that will abandon God's truth and, and fall prey to temptation uh, because scorn is something and mockery is something that we're particularly uh, susceptible to. And it's important uh, to become very, very alert when uh, someone uses scorn or mockery uh, to attack uh, your belief in God or to attack uh, His commandments. It is a very, very old device. It is a very, very effective uh, device, but it should never be successful in our lives as Christians, but uh, too often it is. The second probe that he launches towards Eve in this um, opening sentence is in the form of uh, you uh, 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 hath God not, uh, he says you shall you shall not eat of every tree in the garden 
And, and when he says that, he is deliberately misrepresenting what God said. Uh, God gave the prohibition in, in these words in Genesis 2, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, Adam, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And when God comes in and he gives the prohibition, and he gives a lone prohibition in terms of the trees to be partaken of. But when God uh, declares this to Adam, he emphasizes first and foremost the vast number of trees that existed there within the Garden of Eden that he had provided to them, I mean amply, amply, amply uh, to eat from, uh, but with one lone exception. In other words, all of this is yours. I mean, so much that I've blessed you with and, and giving, given you with the lone restriction. And what Satan does, and you'll recognize it from your own life, Satan comes along and he phrases the question in such a way is to take Eve's eyes off of all of the blessings that God had provided to her there in the Garden of Eden and to draw her full attention uh, to the lone prohibition. Uh, we have an old saying within our culture that, you know, he couldn't see the forest for the trees or she couldn't see the forest for the trees. And it speaks of uh, putting our focus on one tree, on one uh, detail a small detail, relatively speaking, and then missing the whole forest, missing the big picture of a situation as a result. And Satan is an absolute master of trying to get anyone to miss the forest uh, for uh, the tree. And he understates here the generosity of God, and then, and, and then he overstates the restrictions of God's commandment. And he does this kind of thing continually. And so when, he, when he, he tries to get us as Christians to look at the Christian life, or to get anybody, any person that isn't a Christian yet, that is uh, examining the Christian life, or uh, trying to educate themselves in the Christian life, uh, what, he, what he will do is he'll try and get us to uh, instead of seeing all of the blessings, all of the freedoms that God has provided to us. And you think about the blessings, the joy, the peace, the hope, the deliverance, the power that is ours, to have a new nature, to, to be sane and clothed and, and seated in our right minds, the forgiveness, to have a relationship with God. On and on and on and on. The whole Bible is filled with the blessings that God brings into our life as a result of, of His Son. And yet the devil will come and, and he gets us to be obsessed over the one thing that God denies us that is of a special interest to us. And he will get us obsessed over uh, the fact that we cannot be sexually immoral like the rest of the world or that we can't uh, get drunk like the rest of the world, or we can't get high like uh, the rest of the world, or some other dumb thing that uh, we want to do but that God's Word uh, forbids. 
and how He works to uh, get us to view some command of God as being unreasonable or to view it as being extreme. And He constantly does that. He's constantly trying to give us the idea that to live full on for God, to obey His commandments, to really take all of this uh, seriously, is, it, it requires a, a, an extremeness. And, 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 it re, and it requires this kind of a, of a zeal that, uh, it, 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 it's unreasonable for a person to take the, the prohibitions seriously in that way. And he always does it so that he can then get us to uh, doubt the wisdom of God's commandments. Because if he can get us to doubt the wisdom of one commandment, if he can get us to doubt, to look at it and say, that's too extreme because the culture has fashioned us now. And we look and we say, that's unreasonable, that's too extreme. And if he can be successful, uh, successful on that uh, commandment, then he knows it is effortless that for him to then begin to roll to one commandment after another, after another, after another, to try and get us to view uh, the totality of the commandments of God in, in the, the, the same uh, same way. And so he comes along and there'll be some, uh, again, the fashioning of the culture that is around us. He's in control of the culture, by the way. And, uh, and somebody will come along or some instrument of his and uh, look at some prohibition of God in light of the enlightenment of the culture in terms of sin. And somehow the thought will be, well, that doesn't seem uh, 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 right, does it? Or to obey what God says there, to believe what God says there. That doesn't seem very kind or very loving or very uh, wise or tolerant. Or, or to give the idea that if you take that seriously and you obey that command, uh, uh, then don't you think that's a little bit extreme that God is, is calling you to? And all these devices begin to work on us and we're familiar with them. It is so important to, to each, that each of us realizes that every time we come into contact with someone or something that attempts to cast doubt in our minds concerning the wisdom of God in, in His Word, that we're dealing with the devil. And we're not just dealing with the devil, but we are dealing with him at his absolute uh, craftiest. And this happens all of the time. Satan will use some, it always happens like at Christmas time or Easter time, they'll run some show maybe on PBS or something, and it, and it, it typically runs something like the search for the historical Jesus. And they'll put the entire life of Jesus together without a single thought toward the biblical record. Uh, it's just a bunch of theologians and people that have put together this idea and then, and, and then they pu uh, put it out there in order to provide you with a different view of Jesus than the one that, that, uh, that the Bible provides uh, to us. And all of it uh, with the design of, uh, of causing people to, to doubt the reliability of the Word of God. And it's the same thing happens related to sin as well. And sometimes it can be a family member, sometimes it can be a professor in university, sometimes it can be a parent, sometimes it can be false ministers, there's plenty of them uh, that will 
uh, are happy to uh, cause people to come to doubt the wisdom of God's Word. There are plenty of seminaries that are happy to do that very same thing, and certainly plenty of books and magazines and and websites. And so he he causes her to uh, begin an attempt to to doubt uh, the wisdom of God. Eve's response there in verses 2 and 3 is interesting. She, she engaged with him in the conversation, which is never a great idea. And it's completely unnecessary, by the way. Uh, there's the, the old saying, maybe you've heard it, everybody has a right to hear it once in your lifetime, and that is when the devil knocks at the door, simply say, uh, Jesus, it's for you. Uh, you can never do uh, better than, than that. Uh, I remember seeing a sermon years ago where the guy was walking back and forth across the the whole platform in a handkerchief and the whole deal. I'm completely envious of people that uh, can do that kind of thing. Uh, The Scot in me won't allow it, but uh, it's in there somewhere. But but he was was doing a sermon on the devil, and he's going, and and he says, I talked to the devil. And I said, devil? And devil, and he's doing look at this whole thing going on. Uh, a deal that he's doing is mesmerizing, really, uh, and all. But we're told in Jude verse nine, uh, even when Michael the archangel, uh, he wasn't interested in talking to the devil. Uh, when he was contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, he dared not bring an accusation. Uh, a reviling accusation against the devil, but said, the Lord re- rebuke you. You'll never, do, you'll never do any better than that. Now, in her response, Eve is, generally gets it right. And I'm convinced that um, she is trying to protect, uh, she recognizes a little bit about what, what uh, the devil is doing here and his misrepresentation of what it is that the commandment that, Jesus, that, that God had given. And uh, so she steps up here and, and defends God against that, that selective representation of God's command that the devil uh, used. And you notice in verse 2, she openly affirmed that God had invited them to eat of every tree in the garden. In verse 3, she very accurately represents God's prohibition concerning eating the tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, but then she does add the prohibition that it was also not to be touched. And I'm probably like uh, most Bible teachers or preachers, we see that, we recognize it from Genesis 2 to here, that is in addition to what was, uh, is recorded in, in uh, chapter 2. And so the attempt to, of course, it's never good to add anything to God's Word, but uh, the attempt to, you know, make this a, a dominant kind of lesson that is supposed to come from the temptation here. And... Uh, I've even tried to do it through the years, and I've abandoned it, because she's not condemned at all in the passage uh, for having said this. And she certainly wasn't lying in saying it. Otherwise, the first uh, sin that man committed would have been Eve lying in the garden rather than disobeying and and taking uh, the fruit that was, uh, was forbidden. And, and, and so, uh, very significantly concerning the flow of things here in verse 3, she repeated God's warning that uh, to eat of the tree would result in death. And uh, up to, to this point, her response is a good one. 
And she, she does the one thing that's so important to do, and that is she responded to the temptation with the Word of God. And that's, that's what she did. This, this temptation number two there in verse four, the devil uh, declares at this point to her, you will surely not die. Now here you have the devil throwing off all uh, subtlety at all. He just flatly uh, declares God's word uh, to be a lie. He, he didn't start there, and he rarely starts there. I mean, he can, in a, he can be em, emboldened in certain cultures, but he rarely starts there, certainly with a child of God. Remember Eve is, uh, she is in a covenant relationship with God. She is in a, a relationship with God. And uh, so uh, he's, de- he's dealing with a Christian, so to speak, here. And, and, and so he doesn't begin, you shall surely not die, and, and flatly denying the Word of God and calling it a, a lie. If he were to do that, the shock would be so great that uh, he'd, he'd be repulsed immediately by the average Christian. But what he does is he grooms her. And, uh, and, he, and he groomed her to this point by just casting doubt on the wisdom of God and then noticing uh, that in doing so, she's not scared off uh, from the conversation. She continues uh, the conversation and, uh, and, and, and he recognized that as, uh, as, as an opportunity for him to continue his, his, tem- his temptation. It is important to realize that when the devil comes and he tempts us, um, the longer that conversation goes on inside of our heart or our mind, uh, the worse it is. We are usually going from strength to weakness at that point. Many times a temptation will come into our life, very easy to recognize it, uh, the Word of God says this, you are saying this, and, and, and the temptation is launched, the temptation is met, and it's over in 10 seconds. Uh, some temptations, the devil will come against us, and he'll kind of lay siege. He's there for a while, and you can handle it properly for a while, and need to, but it's not going to be a quick one, and, and it, it just kind of happens that way. But, but the, again, the recognition that that the longer this goes on, the longer I'm in a conversation with him about a particular temptation and listening to him related to that temptation, I am usually losing virtue, losing strength uh, the longer the, the, the temptation and conversation uh, 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 goes on. So, shut the door, keep out the devil is the old song comes from wherever I heard somebody sing that one time. And uh, uh, you can tell, I do, it wasn't me singing it. So, so when you hear this kind of thing, you shall surely not die. This, this declaring God's Word to be a lie, uh, anywhere you hear this, whether it's on, on the television or in a classroom or in books or uh, from a person, you are dealing with the devil. And... And more than that, you are now dealing with the devil who has uh, grown so bold that he does not feel uh, the need to operate with any kind of subtlety uh, in, any longer. 
And so he drops the subtlety. I mean, he speaks with absolute authority here. And I think you look at how bold he's become in our, our nation and in our world. And uh, he is in our nation to, at the very least. He's way past feeling like he has to probe our culture to see whether it will be receptive to just flatly denying the Word of God being the Word of God and calling God a liar. Uh, that it does not shock our culture uh, any longer. Now, notice the, the, the one big thing that Satan attacks specifically here when he says, you will not surely die. The, the great uh, thing that he attacks and that he brands a lie is the idea that there will ever be any consequences in a person's life for disobeying God. You do what you want. You will sure, not surely die. There'll be no consequences uh, to disobeying God's commandment, and, and, and it is a, a, an attack upon the idea that God will actually judge us for uh, disobeying His commandments. And the idea is, it's like, it, she's, he's talking to Eve, and it's like, you know, the, the, he, he, God gives commandments. I mean, it's a God kind of thing. That's what gods do. But, but you don't have to take them seriously. I mean, he, he won't do anything if you disregard them. I mean, he's all bark and he's no bite on this, this issue. And so he, he comes in here and you will not surely die. There's no such thing as a hell. No one's ever going to be judged for rejecting, uh, disobeying God's commandments and never be judged for rejecting uh, heaven's Savior, rejecting Jesus for the forgiveness uh, of our sins. And anytime you are dealing with someone who tells you that, even from a pulpit, especially from a pulpit, uh, you, it, it, that it really doesn't matter whether you obey God or not, or there's no hell after this life, and uh, you're dealing with an ancient lie of the devil. And this kind of thing is absolutely everywhere. I mean, even among professing Christians, I don't say actual Christians, but professing Christians. And so many, they love to identify as a Christian, and they talk about God's love, and they talk about His grace, and they talk about His forbearance, and, and these are wonderful things to talk about. And, uh, but uh, they, their lives are then lived in just an open, willful disobedience to God's Word, and there is zero fear. Absolutely no fear of God. No fear of any consequence for disobeying God. No fear of any consequences for disobeying God in this life or in the life to come. And, and most often, no belief in a, in a, in a hell uh, after this life that everybody ultimately ends up in, in heaven. And, and they hold these views in a, a complete defiance of what God has declared in His Word consider, considering this. And yet, as happened with Eve, uh, Satan's lies uh, will always be exposed as lies. And God's truth will always be revealed to be the truth on any subject. The problem is, is that sometimes it's too late. What God said about dying, all of that came to pass. All of that was true. But once she disobeyed God, now there's no going back. There's no going back.
The same thing is true when a person uh, dies and leaves this life without having trusted in uh, Jesus Christ because they believe the lies of the devil and, and all, that there's no need to do this, there will be no judgment, there is no heaven, there is no hell. Uh, there, everybody goes into heaven if there is a heaven and, and a hell. And, and all of this kind of thing gets, gets uh, lay, laid out. And then the moment a person dies, then they realize God was right about this. And the devil told me a lie. But it'll be one second too late. And the consequences are severe related to this. And if you think uh, Satan is concerned about his reputation and lying to you, you are wrong. <laughs> he, is a, he is a destroyer. And his only goal in life is to lead as many men, women, and children into a rebellion against God and to join him in his rebellion as he can. And, uh, and that's all he cares about. You know, I mean, if we deal with one another and let's say you lead someone into a sin, you tempt them into some kind of a thing and then the consequences begin to uh, fall on their head massively, I mean, the person can then look over at you and you feel bad about it. I mean, your conscience is, is struck about what I led them into and look at the mess I've made. The devil never feels that. He never feels that. He never wrings his hand. And, if, and you know from your own life, when he comes in and tempts you and then you sin and you believe the lie or I believe the lie, and the moment we commit the sin and the consequences are now uh, put into uh, orbit in terms of them starting to unfold, and then you look around uh, for where the devil is now, and you ever find him on the scene of the crime? He's long gone. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about me. doesn't care about anything. Two of the names for the devil in the Bible is Apollyon and Abaddon in the book of Revelation. One is Greek and one is Hebrew, and they both refer to the fact that he is a destroyer. He has no compassion on any of us at all, not the slightest concern for the consequences that are about to come upon us as a result of believing his lies. Passages concerning eternal consequences of sin, uh, Jesus taught in John 14, 16, famously, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. Uh, John chapter 8, verse 24. Jesus said, Therefore I said to you that you would die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. The Apostle John, possessing the, the clarity that the Bible possesses, he wrote on this issue in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. He said, Now uh, by this we know that we know him, that is God if we keep his commandments. And he who says, I know him, uh, that is God, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Refreshing clarity in terms of the fact is that there is always a consequence to sin and, and uh, whatever the devil might say. Now, there's no uh, revealed protest on the part of Eve upon hearing of this second statement that the devil uh, makes here. You will not surely die. 
And the devil knows he's been very bold in what he's done. He's not going to leave that temptation hanging in the air for any length of time. And so he moves to his third temptation in verse 5. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And here the devil does something that very interesting. He does two things at once. The first thing is he attacks the character of God suggesting that somehow God is jealous of us, that He is jealous of mankind, and that He knows that we have the potential to be like God, which is, by the way, the lie that the Mormons believe. Uh, it, it, but but it, it, the, the idea that the devil is, is launching here is that somehow God knows we have the potential to be like God, but He doesn't want us to realize our potential. And, and the idea is that, that the devil is, puts toward people is that by following God, you are going to miss out on your full potential, which is absolute nonsense because the Bible teaches God is not jealous of us. Can you imagine God being jealous of us? I'm not jealous of you. You're not jealous of me. I'm not impressed with you. You are not impressed with me. I'm impressed at at, uh, what you can do, what you can accomplish and all, but the gap between God and man is so great. We are so fallen in such a mess to believe that God would be jealous in any way that we somehow might become a threat to him. It's crazy. And and yet, all of this in order to, to launch the idea that that somehow uh, we're going to miss out on our full potential and God wants us to miss out on it uh, by, uh, by following uh, God. And the, not only is the Lord not jealous uh, uh, of us in any way or threatened in any way by us, uh, our full potential of any human being is only realized as we know God and as we love Him and as we uh, walk with Him in a relationship with Him. That's the very thing that we've been created for. Uh, the, the second thing that He does here in this final of the three temptations is He casts doubt upon the goodness of God. And, uh, and that's a famous point related to this whole progression. He casts doubt upon the goodness and the love of God. In other words, He communicates uh, what God knows and you don't know is that all of His commandments are designed to keep you blind. And if you will just throw off His commandments, you'll see things clearly. You'll become like God. You will know good and evil. And He's communicating the idea that in obeying God's commandments, in remaining submissive to Him, that we are missing out on so much in life. We're missing out in all of the fun of life and that there's a better life to be found than in something other than living obediently to God's commandments. And he gets so much mileage out of that temptation in speaking to people and even tempting Christians. You're missing out. Look at what you're missing out on. Look what the world is doing. Look at what they're engaging uh, uh, in. The fact of the matter is the only things that simple obedience to God's Word keeps me from are those things that will harm me in life. John, again, in his first epistle, chapter 5, verse 3, for this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. 
and His commandments are not burdensome. What is burdensome is disobeying His commandments. The, the old saying that is, is an important one in understanding all of this, and that is that sin is not bad because it's forbidden. It is forbidden because it's bad. And there's a whole world of Christians who don't take their understanding of the Word and their understanding of sin any deeper than this. They think that the, the only reason the things that are prohibited by God in the Word, the only reason they're bad is because God has prohibited them. And that is, that is such a, uh, a shallow understanding of God or understanding His Word. God prohibits these things because they are bad. That's, the, that's, that's the, the reason behind every prohibition in, in His Word. And those of you who have walked with the Lord for a while, uh, and for a long time, and maybe over the age of 45 or the age of 50, you ask yourself, uh, do you regret missing the sins that the, wor the Word of God protected you from? Oh, rats, I could have been a drug addict. And I'm not putting down people that deal with drugs. Oh, I, I, you know, I had, a, I had a wide open door to become an alcoholic or to become addicted to porn or whatever is the hook on any of the sins within the culture. Now, if, if we can hold on long enough and address these temptations biblically, and, and sometimes in just the, the, the swirling of the moment of the temptation, uh, it, it, you know, which of the two things, obeying God or obeying the devil, what is true is going to look good on the long term as well. And how much we look back, I certainly do in my life. And I don't view any of God's prohibitions of having robbed me of anything but having protected me of all kinds of things. And I'm a guy that was capable of destroying my life a hundred different ways. I don't look down on anyone. But the Word of God is, is, is powerful in accomplishing that, what it protects us from. And this Christian life is the greatest life a person can live. And it's a privilege to do so. But somehow the devil gets in there and he can try and convince us that, uh, to think otherwise. That somehow we're missing out on everything. But here's the truth of it. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 15. Good understanding gives favor. And then here it is. But the way of the transgressor is hard. And it is. It is hard. You see all the... the, the and we'll talk about it next week in terms of the, the consequences of sin devil never lets you know about the consequences of sin ahead of time. He keeps that as hidden as anything can be. And if we were to see the private lives of people who had given themselves to a transgression, uh, you would know if the truth could be known to us concerning every person, is it is a very, very hard life. And that's the truth. Jesus said uh, in John chapter 8, verse 34, Verily, verily, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. There is a hook to all of it. And it doesn't lead to freedom. It doesn't lead to enlightenment. 
It's forbidden because it will lead us into becoming a slave of sin. And yet you look around at how many multiplied millions believe Satan's lie uh, by the day and throw away their health, they throw away their looks, they throw away their sanity, they throw away their innocence, they throw away their wealth, their freedom, their potential, their entire future, convinced that there is a better life in this world found in disobeying God's commandments than in obeying it. And to a human being, it is always proven uh, false. E's response to the temptation is very concise in verse 6. And uh, perhaps you've heard the old saying attributed to Julius Caesar, I came, I saw, and I conquered. And that was, that was Julius Caesar's life. It was not a bad encapsulation of his life. And, and uh, you can encapsulate uh, Eve's response to this temptation uh, just as succinctly and is right there in the passage. She saw, she took, and she ate. And so she saw there in verse 6 that the tree was good for food. It appealed to the bodily appetite. Of course it was attractive. It wouldn't be a temptation if it wasn't attractive. And it's fascinating in this, in this trail of, of three kind of things that we see here related to Eve, uh, it, 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 tremendous insight uh, comes to us in, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, where John writes of her, he has to have, he has to have her progression into sin in mind. Uh, when he writes this and exposes how the devil tries to get to each of us. He said, do not love the, the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, that's the first thing she fell prey to, and then the lust of the eyes, that's next, and the pride of life, that comes after, is not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world is passing away, and the lust of it but he who does the will of God abides forever. And so this temptation, as she looked at that fruit and she saw it was good for, uh, for food, but the big problem is it was forbidden. Forbidden. And then she saw that it was pleasant to the eyes. Here again is the lust of the eyes, how the devil uses that in temptation. The problem is it was probably beautiful to look at, but again it was forbidden. I mean, the, the, how, much, how many temptations in the world are uh, visually unattractive? So there's a whole world of things that are pleasant to the eyes, but they're forbidden by God. And, and, and that, that's to slam the door. And then she saw that it was a tree that was desirable to make one wise. And here you have the pride of life, believing the lie that there's a wisdom in this world that's greater than God's uh, wisdom. And the desire to be kind of uh, experienced in a Jimi Hendrix way, uh, to, uh, but in terms of good and evil. And, and to desire to be uh, in the know about all things, including evil, to explore evil, to satisfy a curiosity that she had about not only good, she already knew that, but evil. The problem is it was all forbidden. And you notice that in all of this, while all of this is going on in verse 6, there's no mention of the devil in verse 6. You know why there's no mention of the devil in verse 6? Completely quiet there. Because after tempting her, he then now leaves her to her own natural desires, her own physical appetites, and he just leaves now the temptation with her. And the devil's work is always done 
with the temptation. That's all he can do. He cannot force a single individual to sin. All he can hope is to tempt and that a person will believe that lie over what God says about that particular uh, subject. All he can do is tempt. The fall itself is, is uh, equally concise. And in the latter part of verse 6, Eve took the fruit and she ate. And uh, nothing wrong with the fruit. People think it's an apple or whatever, except people that grow apples. Uh, no farmer wants their crop to be identified with this. It doesn't matter what the fruit is at all. There's nothing wrong with the fruit. Uh, what, uh, what went wrong here was the disobedience to the commandment. Nothing to do with, with the fruit. It was the act of disobedience that unleashed all of the consequences that followed. Her fall is, is astonishingly swift, but we'll recognize it from our own lives where we've, we've been uh, suckered by the devil. I mean, here you have only a moment before, and, and she has declared that God has said, of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, you shall not eat. And, and yet, uh, now it seems as if the eating of that fruit is the only thing she can even think about in, in, that, in that moment. And her failure was a very, very simple one. She stopped testing the temptations of the devil, stopped testing the devil's lies by the Word of God. And there's no mention of the Word of God. She doesn't make a peep from the Word of God in verse 6. It is completely uh, absent in, at this point in the temptation. And it is so simple, but it is so absolutely true. All she had to do to stand against the temptation was just to trust God's Word, obey His Word, and that temptation of the devil, and no one knows it more than the devil, that temptation would have had no power at all, no effect at all upon her. And of course, this is what we see Jesus modeling in the New Testament where the devil comes and it's the same three devices, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. He comes in three temptations against the devil when Jesus began his public ministry. And Jesus responded to each one of those temptations with the same phrase, it is written, it is written, it is written. And each time he quoted a passage from Scripture to meet the temptation of the devil, and significantly he quoted from the book of Deuteronomy each time which emphasizes obedience to, uh, to God and to His commandments. And then when the devil, and the devil never has anything to say, it, 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 he cannot stand before being met by the Word of God, his temptation being met by the Word of God. And so he was forced to leave off that temptation uh, that he had brought against, uh, against Jesus. Eve had everything that she needed to withstand the temptation. She had a relationship with God, and she had God's Word. And we have the same things. We have a relationship with God. We are filled with the Holy Spirit, and we have God's Word. And it's enough, those two there, enough to stand in the face of, of any temptation. She gives it to Adam, and he ate. Uh, important to know, Eve was deceived, and Adam sinned. Uh, deliberately. And you notice that Satan did not tempt Adam at all. Uh, he, he, he got Eve uh, to fall there in the temptation, and then he just left that uh, to Eve uh, with, with Adam. And now, as a result of that fall in verse 6, uh, nothing is, has been the same in, in human history. So sin is not uh, it, it, what it's cracked up to be.
And we'll look at the, the far-reaching consequences of, of this sin uh, next time. And it's very, very instructive. As we continue to, uh, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and he said, and we are not ignorant of his devices, speaking of the devil. Sometimes I think, we're not. <laughs> but that's why a passage like this is so important. Um, so that we're not ignorant of his devices. And his devices are never more on display than here in these six verses that we have studied here this morning. If you're not a Christian here this morning, uh, uh, come out from under the devil's lies. Come out from under his, the pummeling that he, uh, he brings down on your head all day, every day. Uh, all... All he wants, the Bible, the Bible is upfront honest about the fact that sin is pleasurable for a season, and, but it's only for a season. And then he will mock every single person that ends up in judgment in, in hell with him. And so if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, there are going to be men and women and pastors up in front immediately after the service, and they would love to pray with you to begin that relationship with God that you have been created for. Now let's stand together and, and we'll close in prayer. Father, a lot of us have walked with you for a long time and um, we recognize these devices from our own history with you and the devil's attacks against us and, and it's not unfamiliar ground. But these little things that you have revealed to us in the passage, and I pray that for everyone hearing this for the first time, for all of us that have heard these things many, many, many times, that you would use this equipping from this passage to help us to be very quick to recognize the devil's devices and his lies, and then to be very quick in the power of your Holy Spirit to meet that with your word. We thank you for the privilege of knowing you, the privilege of being able to walk with you. We thank you for the privilege of holiness. We thank you for the life that your commandments have brought us into. And we thank you for uh, the life that your commandments have protected us from, Lord. And so we pray for a continued work of your Holy Spirit through these truths, Lord, in protecting us in the face of temptation the remaining days of our life. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.